0: Well, good morning, Nona Church family, so thankful that you're with us today. Hey, we're not alone today, but there are folks joining us really from all over the place, including missionaries uh, that we support. I want to say hi to John and Cindy, I know that you guys are tuning in. Can we put our hands together and welcome those that are joining us today? So thankful uh, that you're with us. Thanks for being here. Uh, If you're new, my name is Colin, I serve as the lead pastor here at Nona, and it truly is our honor to have you with us today. We'd love to be able to get to know you a little bit more and hear a bit more about your story. I'll be up front after service and we'd love to be able to connect a bit more uh, with you. A couple of things before we jump into our series today. Uh, The first one is this, is that Easter is just seven Sundays away, which is kind of crazy and intense. Uh, And uh, one of the things we're excited about for Easter, and if you're new to Nona, Easter is a big deal here at our church, is we want to do something really special on that Easter Sunday. Uh, We want to have an Easter choir. How about that? And so uh, here's the deal. If you want to jump in and be a part uh, of that Easter choir, um, we would love to have you uh, be a part of the community. You can uh, connect with John. John led worship today. Email john at nonachurch.com. You'll be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. But we're really excited about getting uh, this whole room filled with people that uh, love Jesus, celebrate his resurrection, and we're going to do some things that are special on that particular Sunday. And you might be saying, well, I'm not that great of a singer, I don't know, like, don't worry, we're not going to give you a microphone and put it in front of your face and give you a solo, there's not going to be a special, this ain't church in the 80s, all right, like, that's not what we're doing, there's not going to be, oh, bless your heart moment, none of that, uh, we're just going to sing together, and it's going to be a lot of fun to have you here. Uh, second thing I want us to celebrate, this is a really big deal, uh, is if you're new to Nona or if you've been around this community, one of the ways in which we help you engage in this place is uh, trying to make this bigger church feel like a smaller community by giving you tangible next steps that you can take to be able to find your fit. Uh, and so we offer this course called Blueprint. It happens on the first and the third Sunday of every month, and it's an opportunity for you to learn about our church and learn about our community and I want us to celebrate this Uh, the last blueprint that we had in the month of February it was at capacity it was the largest one we have ever had can we celebrate all the people that are taking next steps That's so cool and um, the next blueprint is shaping up to look like that. It happens today, and it's not too late for you to jump in. There's free child care and free food, so make sure that you come and join us. And you might be saying, well, Colin, I've been going to Nona for like years, but I just want some free child care. Join us. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. Uh, but we, uh, we would love to be able to connect with you if you're looking for a place uh, to find your fit. Uh, Today, we are kicking off a brand new series titled Last Words. Would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three, last words. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at The seven last phrases that are documented for us in the New Testament accounts while Christ, while Jesus our Savior, is on his cross. It's the last six hours of his life, and we find that Jesus says seven poignant and powerful things. And you might be asking me, well, why are we spending this much time and preparation and really speaking to this particular moment in the life of Jesus? And one of the main reasons is because I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to be us, and that oftentimes we can wake up the week of Easter or even wake up on Easter morning and run out the door with a a good outfit maybe that we've picked out for our family, a quick family photo, but the greatest moment in all of human history can happen, and it can happen in a blink of an eye, and we weren't prepared. We weren't ready to settle in and celebrate just how significant the resurrection of Jesus is. And so what we want to do over the next number of weeks leading up to Easter is allow our hearts to slow down on Sunday and prepare for what is the greatest moment in all of human history. When Jesus Christ himself, a defeated death, walked out of the tomb, left the grave, left our sin and shame there, and gave us hope for a future. How many of us are grateful for the resurrection? We're grateful for the resurrection this morning. Well, as we are grateful for the resurrection, we want to be reflective on redemption and the cost that comes through Christ and his cross. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next number of weeks looking at Christ and his cross because the cross is a powerful reminder, a forever reminder of the unconditional care and love of a God who is for you. The cross is a reminder that we stand in light of God's kindness and mercy exhibited towards us. That there is not a price God is unwilling to pay to make us right with him and to be connected in relationship with him. He's willing to allow his very son Jesus to be murdered on our behalf for his glory and for our good. And what's amazing is that there really are two sides to the cross. One is that the cross reminds us of how different Jesus is and how desperate we are for him. Because what we'll see over the next number of weeks is that while Christ is on his cross, the way that he acts, the way that he speaks, the way that he treats others, the way that he experiences that moment, it is categorically different than how any of us would ever experience a moment like that. But there's a second side to the cross that is just as important, and it's this. The cross reminds us of how similar Jesus is and how sympathetic he can be to our life. In other words, this is what I would say, he gets us. Jesus understands what it's like to be me and what it's like to be you. In our Formation Journal readings uh, this week, there was a scripture that I think captures this so well in Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It is on the cross that Jesus experiences pain and exhaustion and heartbreak and temptation, rejection, fear. And even love. Jesus knows what it's like to be us. And even in his last words on the cross, Jesus doesn't stop teaching us. And by looking at these last words, the last phrases of Jesus within the last six hours of his life, what we'll find is that Jesus continues to teach us that even in looking at his death, we learn how to live our life now. So with that in mind, would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to look at the first phrase of Jesus's last words. Father, I pray that the next number of weeks would be healing for some of us. That God, we would see that you are not so far away from us that you don't know the plight of our pain. That God, I pray that the next number of weeks would be hopeful for us, that we would recognize it, that, that you know what it is like to be us, and yet, God, you have made a pathway of connection and redemption that is a gift for all of us to receive. And Father, I pray in the next few moments that, that you might even do something through the power of your Spirit that would awaken us to how high and how deep and how wide and how long your unconditional love is for everyone on this earth. God, we love you and we thank you. And everybody in this place says, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 23. That's where we're going to go, Luke chapter 23. Uh, But before before we get to the reading today, I want to give you a little bit of context. Because understanding the cross is of utmost importance for us today. Understanding Jesus' journey to the cross, what his last few hours and days were like prior, is so valuable and so significant. Um, if you're new to faith, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the account of Luke, is a, autobi- it's a biography rather of the life of Jesus written by a man named Luke who studied and researched and interviewed hundreds of eyewitnesses who knew Jesus. And then he put together like, what would be considered a good historical account of the life of Christ. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, before he's hanging on a cross, makes his way through a series of conversations and moments that I think bear resonance with our soul. In Luke chapter 22, we'll find this that Jesus has been betrayed by his friend Judas for a payout. I want you to think about your life as I go through this list. And if any of these things resonate with you, just go ahead and give me a head nod. Ever been betrayed before? Judas was betrayed. He's been abandoned by his best friend. Anybody ever felt abandoned? He's been abandoned by his best friend, Peter, in his greatest time of need. He's been unfairly treated by the Roman government. Anybody feel like they've been unfairly treated? Every every teenager's like, yes, curfew is wrong, right? Yeah. He's been misquoted and misrepresented by the religious elites. Anybody been misquoted and misrepresented? Yes. Okay. Every parent in the room, right? He has been falsely accused and framed by his enemies. He's been told one thing in private by the Roman leader, only to watch that Roman leader Pilate turn his back on him in public. Anybody felt that way before? Your boss said one thing in private, and then something else happened when you really needed them to come through. He's been rejected by people who said that they loved him. Have you felt that before? And it gets so bad in these moments leading up to the cross that that there's a, a known terrorist and murderer by the name of Barabbas who uh, is brought out to the people of uh, Jerusalem. And they say, listen, you can have Barabbas or Jesus. There's a tradition here that we're going to release one. And they pick the most notorious criminal with the expectation that surely the crowd is not going to pick the notorious criminal when Jesus himself really hasn't done that much And yet, the very people that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, a few days earlier, yell, crucify him, crucify him, we want Barabbas. These are the moments leading up to Jesus' impending crucifixion. He would walk 13 miles, what we call the Via Dolorosa today. And Luke chapter 23 would tell us that after he walked 13 miles with the cross on his back, it will say when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and another on his left. Now something you need to know about the cross if you don't know is that this cross is a little bit larger than the cross that Jesus would have hung on. Uh, The cross was a a form of capital punishment and torture that had been invented by the Persians 4,000 years before the Roman Empire, but the Romans perfected what the Persians had created. And the reason why they loved crucifixion as the Roman Empire was because of the shame that was associated with it. It wasn't just the physical pain of a crucifixion that you were hanging on a tree, but literally they would put nails through your wrists and not through your palms so that your body would have to hold itself up to try to breathe. You usually died not so much from blood leaving your body, but from suffocation. And to add insult to injury, they would put a sign at the top of the cross naming what your penalty had been, what your uh, law was that you had broken. And to mess with your mind psychologically, they would hang you where your feet were four to six inches from the ground. So while you're there, you're thinking, if I could just touch the ground, four to six inches from the ground. So that way, parents and people and individuals, because this was a spectator sport, could walk right up to your face and say whatever they want, however they want, and you could do nothing. Trapped in a prison with nowhere to go, awaiting the finality of death. And it was designed to make you wait. It was designed to cause as much pain as possible, physically and psychologically, so that the last thing you would remember as you gasped for your last breath would be the hecklers and those laughing in front of you with a sign of shame above your head, identifying you. Not for the ones that you loved. Not for the people that you cared for. Not for the city that you were born in. Not for the pain of your childhood, but, because, but by the worst moment of your life. And this is where we find Jesus. We find Jesus for six hours being laughed at, mocked, and ridiculed. They gamble. They gamble for his clothes right in front of his face. The religious elites, who he's had debates with for years, stare at him in his face, and they heckle, and they jeer, and they laugh. The Roman guard... Look at him and say, well, the sign on the top of your cross says, King of the Jews. Why don't, you, why don't you just come down if you're the King of the Jews? And here is Jesus, six inches from the ground, bearing the weight of our guilt and shame and regret. Now, this is where Jesus is different than us. I want to ask you this question today. and. And this is where this message, I think, gets intensely practical for all of us. I want you to think about somebody in your life, someone in your life that has wronged you, someone in your life that, that has hurt you, caused you pain. Uh, maybe it's a family member who, man, the, the older you get, the reali- you realize how dysfunctional they were. Maybe it's a significant other. It's a spouse that you're married to, and they've caused you insurmountable amounts of pain, but you're, you're staying together for the sake of the kids. Perhaps it's an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend who betrayed you and, and committed a kind of pain towards you that it's still with you to this day. I want you to, for a moment, just to lean in with me if you can. And I want you to think of a name. I want you to think of a group. Who has hurt you? Who has caused you pain? And now I want you to imagine for a moment that you could pay that person back, that you could do whatever you wanted to that person. You wouldn't even necessarily have to do it if something could happen to that person. And there would be no consequence for you, no record for you to remember and nobody would ever know, what would you do? And some of you guys are like, Colin, this is church. I don't want to think like that. What would you do? What would you do? Because this is the temptation posed to Jesus. I mean, if you've been reading through our formation journal, you're, you're pretty aware that God has the power of the universe at his fingertips. He can do a lot of damage in, in a pretty quick moment, right? I mean, if you're Jesus... And the people that you are trying to save are mocking you, laughing at you, ridiculing you, they're spending their money betting on your clothes, taking joy in your pain, being entertained by your pain, what would you do? So I've been thinking about it. Can I tell you what I would do? Don't judge me, okay? But I've been thinking of a couple of options. Here's one thing I would do. I would levitate off of the cross, land on the ground. Um, I would get all of the infinity stones. (laughs) I would snap my finger and watch people disintegrate like Thanos. Anybody like that? That that, that sounds like a, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's an option, right? Here's Here's another option. I would have every single person that has mocked me gather together and I would have them Lose their ability to talk. Anybody like, I would love a cosmic mute button for some people in my life, right? And then I would lecture them on how they are wrong. How they're misrepresenting me. How they're misquoting what I've said. How they've spoken in ways that are not true. I would love, oh, 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 I would love to call people out for their hypocrisy or for their double standard or for the way they've wronged me can I just get a good amen if you're like, yeah, deep down, there's probably a part of me that wants to do that too. One, two, three, eight. yeah, yeah, okay. And if you're like, I would never want to do that. Well, um, uh, I hope heaven's a great place. I think it's going to be Jesus and then you. Like, I I don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's in us, right, to want justice. It's in us to to want things that are wrong to be made right and and listen it's not so much always just us who are the offended party but i'm learning this about me as a parent and parents maybe you can resonate with this our kids are our hearts outside of our chest and when somebody mistreats my kid ooh i am calling on the wrath of god to come and smite that person right why is that it's because we're human Because we feel. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do when he has every right in the world to execute whatever kind of justice he wants to execute? Well, these are the last words of Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would you say that first phrase, Father, forgive them, with me? One, two, three. Father, forgive them. Jesus prays for his enemies. It's not just that Jesus says, I forgive you. But he prays for the ones that have wronged him. And he says, Father, forgive them. And then this phrase really bothers me. For they know not what they do. It's like, pause. Up in in Roman record, up until this point, there have been 30,000 crucifixions. This is not the Roman Empire's first rodeo. The Jewish elites know what they're doing. They know that they have falsely accused Jesus. They know that what they are doing is shady and wrong and backhanded and manipulative. They know. Pilate knows that by washing his hands, he's doing the politically expedient thing, but he's not leading. They know. Peter knows that when he's disavowing Jesus in front of a middle school girl, and the text tells us that he and Christ lock eyes in that moment, Peter knows that he's abandoning his best friend and his friend's biggest point of need. Judas knew that selling out Jesus for a couple of coins was going to benefit him for a moment and be the point of pain for his friends. They knew and yet, Jesus has the audacity to pray, Father, forgive them, because they know not what they do. And here's the reason why. It's because while the whole world thought they were doing something to Jesus, Jesus knew that God was going to do something necessary, essential, And eternal through him. Father, forgive them. See, Jesus is categorically different than us on the cross. Because, I don't know about you, but left with a menu of options with no consequence at all, I'm not picking the thing that Jesus picks on the menu. And yet Jesus is similar to us in that he knows what it's like to feel that temptation. He knows what it's like to want to get even. He knows what it's like to try to make sure everybody gets a piece of your mind. He knows what it's like to be wronged and have the power to do something about it and choose to not get even. Jesus, in his last hours... And in his last words, teach us how to live in these hours because he reminds us on the cross of the power of forgiveness because forgiveness changes everything. And what I want to do with the rest of my time today is I want to talk to us about what forgiveness is, why forgiveness matters, and how can you and I practically do it. So first, let's think about what forgiveness is, because it's important for us today to not get a cheapened version of forgiveness and assume it's what mama or papa taught us when we were kids, or even what the culture says forgiveness is. Because the Bible has a very different picture. So a couple of things that I think are important right off the bat. The first one is this. Forgiveness is not excusing what happened. Forgiveness is not tolerating what happened. Forgiveness is not dismissing what happened. Forgiveness is not avoiding what happened. Forgiveness is not reuniting with or having to have a relationship with the perpetrator that caused you pain. Forgiveness is not foregoing justice that might be available to you in the commonality of the world that we live in. But forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is the decision to release the person and people who caused you pain. Forgiveness is a decision that we make to say, I release you. Forgiveness is a decision that we make to say, I release you from the thing you said, from the action you took, from the trauma you caused, from the pain that you perpetrated, forgiveness is rooted in love. Love. And it's not love that necessarily needs to be felt for the one that caused you pain. But it's love that comes from the one who has died on your behalf. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is my choice to release you. Now, why does forgiveness matter? Well, interestingly enough, a a study was done at Johns Hopkins University, and what they found as they we're studying human p- human beings who are processing and walking through the pain of trauma in their life. They found this. They found that people that held on to resentment have a higher risk of heart attack, cholesterol, sleep deprivation, pain in their body, heightened blood pressure, anxiety, depression, and stress. Write this down in your notes. Why does forgiveness matter? The first reason is because forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness frees you. Uh, I'm going to have somebody come up here and illustrate this uh, with me for a moment. uh, Because forgiveness, I think, is a lot like these handcuffs. Would you put your hands together for uh, Wes Brooks and John McGuire, everybody? So, yeah, we'll have Wes stand right here and, and John, you'll stand right there. You see, the thing about forgiveness is that um, what it does, if we don't make the choice, is that it keeps us connected to the people and the moments that have caused this pain. So, for the sake of this conversation, we're going to say that John has caused Wes pain. Everybody say, "Come on, John!" <laughs> now, now Wes has been been offended. He's been hurt. He's been maligned. By the words and the actions of John. And now that means that John has connected himself to Wes. And as a result of that, Wes is now imprisoned. He is shackled to something that has happened to him in his past. Now, Wes may, like many of us, decide, I don't want to forgive because John doesn't deserve forgiveness. Boo, John, how dare you? But here's what Wes may not know, is that let's say Wes wants to go start a new friendship. So Wes, would you go start a new friendship? Wherever Wes goes, (laughs) guess who comes with Wes? John. Let's say Wes wants to start a new job, because John was mean to Wes in their last job. Wes might think that where he's going is just fine, but the reality is is that wherever Wes goes, John is there as well. Let's say Wes is wanting to find a new church because the last church hurt him and caused him pain. So Wes walks into a brand new church and they sing songs that Wes likes and the message is kind of good and he wants to get involved. Wes might even go to Blueprint because he's so interested in what's happening at this new place. The problem is that if Wes has not forgiven the, the people or the pastor or the individuals that hurt him at his last place, guess what Wes brings with him to his new place? This guy. How dare you? See, forgiveness... Forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks Wes. You're going to have to stay like that, buddy. You can go. I'm I'm sorry. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks Wes from John. Forgiveness is the key that allows Wes to step into the next era of his life or the next moment of his life free from the offense that came from the last time. And see, when we choose not to forgive, we think that what we're doing is we're keeping and punishing the person who hurt us in prison. But the reality is for many of us in the room, this is important for us to know, the people that caused you pain and hurt you and caused the most destruction in your life, they're not thinking about you today. But you're thinking about them. And forgiveness is the key that breaks us free from allowing them to follow us for the rest of our lives. Forgiveness frees us from the prison, the prison of offense. Because that that person or that painful moment, if we don't forgive, we'll sabotage our next relationship. I mean, if you bring the trauma of your previous dating relationship into the next dating relationship, having not forgiven that person, you might be in a relationship with a great person, but that old person is still whispering in your ear. If you bring the unforgiveness you experienced or the the unforgiveness that you're carrying into your next job, you might begin to think because your boss says something that sounds like the thing your last boss said, that your new boss is like your old boss. And it will negatively impact your ability to feel free and experience what God has for you. See, unforgiveness keeps us shackled. But for- forgiveness is what allows us to be free. Here's the second reason why forgiveness matters so much. Not only does forgiveness free you, but write this down. Forgiveness is our only hope. About a year ago, in a non-Christian publication called The Atlantic, um, an individual was writing an article about forgiveness. And this was their comment. The state of modern outrage is a cycle. We wake up mad, we go to bed mad, and in between, the only thing that might change is what's making us angry. The one gesture that could offer substantive change or at least provide a way forward, forgiveness, seems perpetually beyond our reach. Elizabeth Bruning puts it this way, as a society, we have absolutely no coherent story, none whatsoever, about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some continuity between their life and identity before and after the mistake. And we live in a culture today That cancels, writes off, rejects, and crucifies people for their worst moments. And then we live in a world where we hope our worst moments just don't get found out. And this leads to a terrible life, doesn't it? It leads to a life where you stress about saying the right phrase for fear of punishment you walk on eggshells in corporate culture because you don't want to get it wrong and it seems like it's always changing what is right and what is wrong. And we live in fear of what's at stake in hopes that no one throws the first stone. But there's a better way. There's a better way and Christ on his cross shows us what it is. It's forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the only Way we can release the anger we feel in our pain and create a world where it might come our way forgiveness when you and I will inevitably need it. Lastly, forgiveness makes us like Jesus. If the first two reasons aren't compelling, if you're a follower of Jesus, this third one should be sufficient. Forgiveness makes us like Jesus. Our primary responsibility is to know and follow Jesus. And when we forgive those who have wronged us, we learn what it looks like to walk like Jesus. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to Jesus, and, and up until now, the kind of moral fabric of the community and the world is nothing like what Jesus has taught. And Jesus talks about forgiveness all the time. In fact, Jesus speaks about, or the word forgiveness is used 127 times in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John alone. This is core to Jesus' teaching and identity. And so Peter, who is somewhat irritated by all of this forgiveness that Jesus is doling out because it makes them look weak, says to Jesus, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then Peter, thinking that he's gracious, says up to seven times. Seven, Seven times, is that enough? In other words, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive the person who cuts me off in Narcusi traffic instead of wishing that when they switch lanes, that a wreck happens in their lane so I can drive by and smile at them as I go? Seven times? But Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. 70 times. Seven and And that doesn't mean that at 491 you stop forgiving. By the way, it's, Jesus is saying, you keep on forgiving. Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, if a person sins against you over and over and over and over again, you offer forgiveness over and over and over and over and over over again. I mean, this is the most compelling moments, isn't it? It's compelling when you hear about somebody who walks into a school, And wreaks havoc in an Amish school. And the person who does that, when they're buried, has 40 of the families at their funeral consoling the mother. It's powerful. When an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, gathering for a night of prayer, experiences horror. And on the day when the murderer is in the courtroom, sons and daughters and grandchildren and nieces and nephews pray for the individual in their allotted time and extend forgiveness. That's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not holding a grudge. The way of Jesus is not trying to get even. The way of Jesus is not making sure that they get what they deserve. But no one said that the way of Jesus would be easy. In fact, Jesus said that narrow is the gate. And I don't necessarily know that Jesus was talking so much about all these other moral things that we worry about. As much as he was talking about the very human things that are hard every day. Because it is hard to forgive. It is hard to pray for those that have caused you pain. And yet this is Jesus' teaching. So how do we do it? Because here's what I know about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't tell us to live like him and then not give us a way to do it. So how do we actually live out forgiveness in our life? Write this down. We forgive by realizing how much we've been forgiven. There's this interesting story... um, Matthew 18, right after Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Jesus tells the story of a master who has two servants. And one servant owes the master a thousand denarii, a lot of money. This is is an immeasurable amount of money. It cannot be paid. And the servant goes to the master and begs the master for mercy. And the master says, I'll give you mercy. Your debt, the literal phrase is your debt has been canceled. This servant who had a thousand denarii worth, an amount of money that was impossible to repay, has had his debt fully forgiven, finds a person that owes him 10 and throws that person into prison out of his own anger because he's justified by the law to do it. If you owe me, I can send you to prison. And he does. It's within his rights and within the law. And when the master hears about this, Jesus tells a story. Look what happens in Matthew chapter 18. The master called the servant in and said, you wicked servants. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, will treat each of you, unless you, what's the word there? Forgive your brother or sister. From where? From your hearts. From your heart. It's funny raising kids um, because they will cause one another pain. And you ever seen those moments when you tell one of your kids, hey, you need to go ask for forgiveness for what you did. And they're kind of like, will you forgive me? And the other kid's like, yeah, I forgive you. And like they keep on moving on, you know. You can tell when it's from the heart and you can tell when it's not, right? And here's what I've learned in my life and here's what the scriptures teach is that forgiveness from the heart is not something that gets manufactured because of my goodness. Forgiveness from the heart comes when I look at his goodness. When I realize that I'm the one holding the bag with a thousand worth of debt. That I'm the one with a debt that could never be paid by myself. And that it is foolish of me To look at someone else who has caused me pain, yes. Betrayed me, yes. Hurt me, yes. To look at what they owe me and in light of what I owe him and what I've been forgiven. Not allow that forgiveness to emanate from me to others. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Why? Because I know how much you've forgiven me. And I know the debt that I pay. I know the debt that I owe. And if you have been good to do for me what you did not have to do, I believe you'll give me the strength to do for them what only you could do for me. So that mind, I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I don't wanna leave you with a question and then invite you into a next step. Here's the question that has been messing with my mind as I've been preparing for this message. It's this question. What if Jesus treated others the way we did? Another way to put it, what if Jesus forgave others to the degree we were willing to forgive? I mean, what hung in the balance while people are betting for his clothes, mocking him to his face, laughing at his misfortune, being entertained by his pain. What's What's hanging in the balance if Jesus responds the way I would have responded? Well, what hangs in the balance is my salvation. Because had Christ not chose to hang on the cross in the midst of that kind of scorn and ridicule, there would be no payment for sin, and I would be eternally separate from God. What hung in the balance was, was Jesus. Because had He acted out in anger, acted out in violence, acted out in retribution. The teacher who taught about forgiveness, who invited us into a new way of living, would have no moral leg to stand on because that wasn't who he was, was it? But instead, Jesus, Jesus did what he said he would do. And he lived how he taught us to live, even in the his death. And that's the thing about forgiveness is that forgiveness feels like losing, doesn't it? Losing the right to harbor a grudge. Losing the right to remain angry. Losing the right to want to punish. But while forgiveness feels like losing, hear me, on the cross, forgiveness Led to gaining, gaining eternity with God, gaining freedom, gaining grace. When you forgive, you might lose, but you lose shackles and you gain freedom. So, with that in mind today, I want to ask you this simple question Who do you need to forgive? to forgive what's the key that needs to be unlocked would you close your eyes now (laughs) and if God has given you a name a person that you keep on carrying with you from relationship to relationship place to place encourage you to do the most courageous thing you could probably do today. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you under your breath with a hand open. A hand open signaling your releasing of them. Go ahead and do that now if that's you. I'm going to ask you to say these three words from your heart. Would you say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now I would imagine there's some people in this room, the, the person that comes to mind is you. <laughs> you haven't forgiven yourself because you betrayed them. You hurt them. You broke your own boundary. I'm going to let you in a little secret. You can't forgive yourself. But Christ on his cross already has. So perhaps what you need to pray today is, Father, forgive me. and know that the prayer that Jesus prayed, his last words, they were meant for you too. Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, that which releases us and releases others, that which was only accomplished on your cross on our behalf. God, without it, we have no room and no way and no path to walk with you. But because of the cross, because of the cross, we have everything we need. And we bless your name for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen and Amen. Let's sing.